Podcast ain't played nobody, Bill. Pop quiz. Don't look at our website, thesnbnations.com. Tell okay. me off the top of your head, what have you learned thus far from the Southeastern Conference Media Days 2017? It just means more. Uh, I learned that it started yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, I learned that, uh, you know, what my, the favorite, uh, my favorite tradition is every June 1st, somebody from Auburn complaining about divisions and then Greg Sankey having to address it, uh, by immediately shooting it down and saying, I only talk about it here. Um, so I like tradition, Uh, you know, tradition means more. And that is a tradition I've come to very much enjoy since it has happened. I think like three freaking years now. Bill, that's a wonderful way to put a cap on media days. Um, As we record this, I think they're entering day two or day three of the uh, death march that is SEC media days. I am I'm sitting quite luxuriously in my home office with no shoes on, um, a semblance of pants, more of a gym pant, really. uh, Nothing that I could go out and do any kind of sort of suitable business in. The point, Bill, is that I'm not in Hoover, Alabama. I am not walking around having to. Uh, elbow and intimidate my way through throngs of people asking terrible questions to college football players or watching people nervously hold microphones and ask really canned questions that coaches sort of furrow their brows at and and kind of non-answer. I have covered SEC Media Days, I think it's eight times, maybe seven, over the course of, this dates back to like 2002, obviously not every year, um, uh, unfortunately, we, we have sent Morgan Moriarty over to Hoover. Um, she's based in Atlanta, and we, I guess, don't like her. Or Actually, Bill, I think she volunteered, didn't she? She said, I want to go, and we said, oh, okay. It's absolutely horrifying. So Morgan's there. She's asking inane questions. She's trying to capture the zeitgeist of absurdity. Um, she has made a couple of my colleagues and your colleagues mad because she has been walking around um, through two days asking student-athletes about... Game of Thrones, which I think is a fine, fine topic as uh, as fine a topic as any to ask those kids. Um, It turns out most of them don't have cable or don't pay for the subscription to HBO Now or HBO Go. Bill, it's almost as if they don't have a lot of money. Weird. Well, that that can't be it. No, that can't be it at all. I mean, we're talking about a billion dollar industry, right? So uh, that was strange. I watched Greg Sankey yesterday. I did not watch anything else. I did not watch even that. But okay, go ahead. Uh, it, it they have molded that thing into what they an attempt at an Apple keynote, or if you I'm trying to think of another good uh, uh, upfronts in the television industry, E3 in electronics and video games. Um, that they are trying to model it into a State of the Union for the SEC. The reason why this thing is so absurdly early is that Slive, Mike Slive, the former commissioner, he had the the very smart idea that if you go early. In, a, in an area with a super passionate fan base like the SEC, you can dominate the conversation in an otherwise dead period for football and college athletics. And you can also get out in front of any topic that's going to start in in the uh, kind of, what do we say, September, we, you know, September to June academic cycle in college athletics. Uh, that's what Mike Slive used to use this for. Greg Sankey... Not so much. There wasn't really any decorative statements or any stances of, hey, we're going, we're going to come out on this. You know, in years past, it's been everything. It has been compensation for student-athletes in one vague form or another. It's been targeting. It's been run-pass option. It's been player safety. It's been you name it, okay? And this goes through realignment. All of the different issues that have, that have weaved through college sports that aren't necessarily about, you know, the X's and O's. 
Greg Sankey just sort of got up and tried to riff, and it was awkward. Um, made a really weird joke about streaming rights, but then, like, it was a plug. As if anything needs to be plugged right now. SEC Network does not need to be plugged. I thought it was very strange. It was just, it was like a, a, the, the epitome of a dad joke. Um, right, right, yeah. I don't think the intent was to plug SEC Network. I think it was to make a joke, and that just happened to be the punchline. But. Yeah, but he went back and did it again. It was very odd at the end. It was just, it was not solid. Um the SEC Network has sort of turned this into a simulcast, which is why people like me who would, you know, there's really no reason for me to go down there and get the the 15% of actual news product that's floating in all that flotsam. So uh, Sankey's speech, you know, there was a tradition with Slide where it was, again, a really like an agenda-setting type of moment where you would then see the other commissioners at the other media events kind of piggyback off of, or in, usually in Jim Delaney's case, rebute something that Slive had said or the SEC wanted to do. Um, we got a really long-winded, weird anecdote about 50 years of integration um, and African-American student-athletes in the SEC that started with Kentucky football. Um, it was insane to me and and just classic SEC branding and marketing that there was not a single mention of uh, the protests on the University of Missouri's campus two years ago. Blows my mind. Or, I mean, you know, Missouri's integration in, like, 1958, I believe, but, you know. Well, it was um, briefly, briefly mentioned. And okay. then, of course, every and, – and you were you watched me get snippy on Twitter where every Missouri graduate immediately just ripped that rotator cuff, patting themselves on the back for something that they had nothing to do with. Um, and then I, I retweeted a couple people and said, and that was all of Missouri's racial problems solved. That was it. That was the end. Um, so yeah, you're really trying to bait me into talking about that New York times article yesterday. And, and well, no, I woke up and saw you on Twitter this morning as we record this on Tuesday. I have not read anything yet, but the way national media coverage goes as a, as a writer in the old national media is that's my biggest fear. So when you talk about anything, you know, it can be when the New York times would come and write a really dumb piece about the Grove in Oxford when I was in college or just out of college, you would always kind of grit your teeth. This is sort of the pre-Twitter era, but if yeah. I if I wake up and see locals that are all sort of unified, or, or in this case, alumni of Missouri, whatever, and just condemning a piece, well, then that, that's going to make me that much more likely not to read it. And the New York Times has a habit of that. Yeah, that's very... Yes. Um, you know, this was basically... Uh, New York Times writer saying, oh, I see Missouri enrollment just is down. I bet I know why. And then it, it was like, you know, they wrote the piece and then just started interviewing people until they found the quotes they wanted. Uh, they found a couple people, like one saying they went to uh, like Missouri Western instead of Missouri because they didn't want to feel like they were being looked at as a racist. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> and what's sad is, like, if you're a good writer, it's, there is a lot of material here right now because you've got all sorts of different things weaving in and out of this story. Uh, you've got you've got the protest, which obviously had an effect. Uh, there's no point in pretending they didn't. There was absolutely an effect from the protests. Uh, and, and the funny part where it gets interesting is that retention rates in Missouri and the uh, Missouri, I think the undergrad student government leader got a guest column in the KC Star uh, to basically, re- you know, rebuke the, the New York Times story. Pointed out that retention rates recently are as high as they've ever been uh, at the University of Missouri, which is weird because this is this, these are the students that were here during the protests. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the national version was like, you know, it was almost riots and it disrupted everything and campus came to a halt. No, it was tense on, in a, in a, on a quad by Jesse Hall and campus went on as normal. 
there were a couple of weird nights where, you know, social media and, you know, somebody with a gun and all that stuff, but nothing actually happened in that regard. It was a, pro- it was a peaceful student protest that got addressed. Uh, it was the way the system was kind of supposed to work in that regard. Mm-hmm. But regardless, you've got re- high retention rates. You've got nobody applying to be a part of the University of Missouri. Uh, you've got protest to blame for that. You've got the fact that Missouri high school graduation totals are down. You've got the fact that uh, Missouri was suddenly unsustainably high for a little while to the point where when they fell like 20% last year, they fell back to freshman levels at like Nebraska and Arkansas and Kansas and everybody else. Uh, so really part of that was just being an unsustainable thing that was happening for a while. Uh, you've got the, the the effects of state government funding getting just destroyed, like as has happened throughout the country at this point, and you see the effects of that. It's like when we talk about when we talk about recruiting in college football, how you know if you're if you have a top ten recruiting class, you have more margin for error. You can miss on a couple of guys, and if you're a top forty class, you can't miss on anybody. Missouri, with the money situation it's been dealing with for a while, couldn't miss on a president hire. Uh, and they sort of did. They couldn't miss on a chancellor hire, and they really, really did. Uh, and this is what happens. Uh, you have no margin for error in those situations, and, and you've got a hostile state government uh, that, has, that has continued to cut uh, higher education by, by, even, by growing amounts to the point where there have had to be uh, employment uh, you know, layoffs and whatnot. You've had all these things going on. There's a massive story that, that could be tied into, you know, all sorts of different issues. And this writer for the, the you know, for the, for the newspaper that's saying, you know, democracy dies in darkness and whatnot is basically said, I bet this was because of the protest. Yep, that's what I'm going to write. It was because of the protest and that was it. So, um, so football. this is a football you, podcast. You take a breath, take a knee. Uh, there is an opportunity on the platform afforded by SEC Media Days to, if anything, in the least venerable sense, spin this forward as the, as the SEC, as the Southeastern Conference, try and find a way to put it put a dress on a pig, or it, at at the very least, cherry pick a bad situation and again, create some positive momentum both for the conference and the university going forward. They just omitted it. I thought it was dumb. Um, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's sanctimonious and it just rings very hollow when you're able to invoke a, essentially a Wikipedia page of historical firsts with different universities in your conference and you neglect to acknowledge and possibly, I don't know, proffer some sort of idea or solution or suggestion for the future and things that are going on within athletic programs right now. You, you could have done that and he didn't. Um, all right, I don't want to harp on that too much, Bill. One thing he did bring up that is a little more PAPN uh, friendly and flexible: a fourteen-week season. Yeah, um, I think I'm okay with this. Yeah, this is really they should be. You know, you're talking about the difference in you know past and present with the SEC. He they mentioned that he mentioned um, uh, player background checks and whatnot too. Yeah. But it was basically like, this is something we should look into. This is his chance to basically say the SEC stands for this. Uh, and it was basically, yeah, I wouldn't mind talking about that. And that, that really is kind of like, uh, you know, Mike Slive had plenty of his own flaws too, but it almost makes him seem like Steve Jobs uh, in comparison. But, um, well, Slive set a table. Slive set an agenda and he did it in right. the most folksy, colloquial way. Um, and, and it's weird when you, so if you're like a modern fan in the Southeastern conference, you're, so you're somewhere in your late twenties, mid thirties, you've never really known any other 
right. any other world until Greg Sankey shows up. And I think we took Sly for granted. I think we definitely miss... Uh, I think a lot of young people who were very naive about the way that college sports works, my, myself included for a long time in the early onset of my career, didn't quite understand that Sly spoke softly and carried the biggest stick in college sports. Um, that is not really the case anymore. You have somebody who I, I think is searching for his identity as a leader, and, and he was asked briefly about the hurricane stuff with LSU in Florida. Um, you know, he, I, I'll, give, I'll give the guy a point for this. He, just, he said, hey, it was a learning experience. Um, and I wrote about it ad nauseum. We've talked about it ad nauseum. It would have never happened. Uh, I don't think it would happen under Delaney now in the Big Ten. I think it would have absolutely never happened under Slive. That was my thesis last year while this was going on. One thing that's interesting to me, it still hasn't stopped. There's a lot of acrimony between those two schools. While we were on hiatus, Bill, uh, Florida, in what would otherwise be an innocuous tweet, announced that LSU was going to be their homecoming game. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Just... I, I enjoy little bits of dickishness like that. Uh, these that's, institutions, that's what we get into college sports about here. Yeah. I mean, this is this was always the shoehorned rivalry in the old structure of East-West, the per- permanent cross-division rivalries before, we obviously, we got A&M in Missouri. This was the one that always stood out because it frustrated fans of both schools in that they were, for the most part, heavyweight titans that were costing each other different situations, you know, depending on the season. It was always a great football game. It was what you wanted, but they were lumped together. They were always a little too, the other one was always a little too good for, for the other school. It kind of pissed them off. Like, but, you know, LSU's fans have told me many times, like, it would be nice to get Vanderbilt, you know, ro- rotate Vanderbilt in. Um, we got to deal with Florida every year. So now it has like an identity and a reality and, and a very serious dislike uh, between those. I, I, I don't know if it's so much between the staffs as it really is between the administrations and, and the, the upper level booster alumni people. So it's uh, come down to the fans, though. And that's all that matters. Exactly. Once it, you know, once you boil it into Facebook comments, I mean, that's that there is no more rank and file way of or, or metric. So. Uh, there's that the 14 week season um, I would be fine with I, I think teams on the surface would be fine with two bye weeks I think we're all okay with two bye weeks now we've hit those week three sometimes it's week two lulls and then the pre-thanksgiving week lull the uh, what do we always call it Bill oh my god I'm so rusty um, where the SEC ends up playing like seven FCS opponents oh, SoCon Saturday yes yeah, SoCon thank you SoCon Saturday uh this could potentially add uh, um, or water down the purity of each particular week as you stretch it out. However, I also think that, and this is asking a lot, Bill, you get people to look at this in a hive mind perspective and say, well, we can spread out games, uh, marquee games, marquee conference games, marquee non-conference games, the neutral sites, all of that, to where more of the collective... Uh, get to hit those four to five big events each week. I now that, again, that's ideal living, and the the volatility of trying to predict scheduling and all that is very very hard. But this could open college football up to not necessarily jamming so much wonderful product into a smaller amount of time. Now, of course, people are already saying, "Oh, it's going to affect practice," or "It's going to affect this," "It's going to affect that." Schools are already ma- doing away with two a days, right? They don't really have them anymore. They can't legally have them. Um, most of the most of the schools are going non-contact for the first week or two of camps. 
I think that if you opened camp at the exact same time but then had a longer season, I don't necessarily think you would see an effect on the product. You would hear coaches complain. Now, and the other thing to remember here is when we're talking about 14 versus 13, it's basically sometimes it is 14. Uh, and what they're thinking about legislating yes. is that is that it always be 14 even because like if, if uh, Labor Day weekend, if that Saturday falls on like August 31st, um, then everything lays out just fine or, or September 1st. It's just sometimes, uh, you know, Labor Day weekend can be whatever, like the 5th or something, which makes the first Saturday in December, uh, you know, the only, uh, you know, whatever it is, I guess, uh, you know, 14 week or 13 weeks away or whatever. Um, right. And so this is basically saying, let's make sure that even in those situations, we get two bye weeks and not just one. And, and what and the effect of that would be that you'd be playing, I guess, in like August 27th or something. And uh, and that gets a little weird from a practice perspective. But yeah, some half the time it's fine. Uh, more than half the time it's fine. It's just, you know, it, I do think that makes a difference. I don't really think that we would even notice, to be totally honest with you. And we're already seeing this trickle go go into August. Uh, I would, I think I would prefer. Let, let's maybe bend it out into August. Maybe you see the FCS games of Week One fall back a little bit. Maybe that's okay. I think everyone. I, I mean. Right. It's not ideal. I know a lot of people are listening to this right now, and they're freaking out about one thing we haven't discussed, which is weather. Um, mid-afternoon, late August is not ideal for a large portion of the country that cares a lot about college football, so it would be pretty miserable. Um, having gone to, to college in Mississippi and attended a lot of college football games in places like Georgia and, you know, even Tennessee, it's pretty gross. Pretty gross. Yes. So. The alternative is the one where people are going to freak out, and I think university presidents would get involved, and that is pushing anything closer or past conference championships because then the semantic start, you know, that all starts with finals and uh, scheduling and also early signing periods are going to be affected. Um, Right, you get really close to bowls. There's not as much maneuverability there. Um, It gets a little weird on that end, yeah. And then secretly it's going to be a bunch of coaches wigging out because that's also – sort of wiggle room for job job maneuvering and that's that's what they're really concerned job maneuvering about. And, then, and now you've got a signing day in there too uh not a ton more that came out of sec media days it's a nice jumping off point because we have been gone for two weeks so um with that being said this is podcast ain't played nobody it's a college football marriage of numbers and words he is the robot bill Connolly. he is the inventor of the s&p plus analytic system uh, I am Stephen Godfrey, and I have stopped reading that off of a document, so I've got it mostly memorized, although I did forget to plug your books. You can plug them now. Uh, study all 50 best college football teams of all time. Where can people get them? Amazon.com. I have an issue. Oh, wait, actually, no, wait. Before you, before you go into your issue, let me just say, we're never taking a break again. Because in the absence of PAPN, we just started yelling at each other in one of our Slack uh, workrooms about politics. And that can't happen. Uh, So we're never taking another break. I yell at everybody about politics. It's fine. I love you, buddy. Um, I yelled back. I have a bigger issue with you than anything to do with politics. Uh Oh, You're getting a little too friendly with Michigan. Yeah, at this exact moment, Michigan fans tolerate me and Penn State fans love me. And and that's... 
But I will not have you say anything bad about Michigan fans because they clicked the hell out of my Michigan preview, and therefore they're fine. They're great people. It's a paradox. We've uh, we've always laughed about it at SB Nation. When every day should be Saturday, does their various charity events and drives and such. Um, Michigan, you know, there's a name for it. It's the Michigan Money Cannon. Um, they have amazing, passionate, benevolent patrons who, if you just gussy up, if you just put a coat of college football rivalry paint on anything, they will just dump money insanely to paint it maize and blue. Um, and while possibly misguided and philosophically a little strange, it's uh, it's awesome because they have given so much money to the very, like, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how much money they gave last year to our own charity drive, but I mean, it was to, it was to help a, a fledgling charter school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana it has nothing to do with the Wolverines whatsoever. And periodically, Bill, I would just get like, you know, we had, remember we had the $200 range where you could, we would talk about whatever school you wanted. Right. We would just get random $75, $350, hits where people were just like, yeah, go blue with no real expectation of us talking about Michigan because Michigan is one of those programs you talk about anyway. Um, so, the reason why it's a paradox is that sitting next to that is this insane core of, I don't know if it's the, the Michigan aristocracy. See, I don't know enough about the state of Michigan. Are, are the happy people just this like super benevolent, normal middle class, like maybe some alumni, maybe some sidewalk fans, and they're just good people? And then this other group of a-holes, are they like the... They're the believers. They're the scary part of it, which is, it's really, it's getting harder and harder to me, for me, to like read your piece and we have a discussion and I look at objectively at what Harbaugh is doing and I think he's doing so many things that I would do. He's like it, it, the way that he's making Michigan function is right. It is effective. I think the way that he is upending and bothering other coaches in, in other areas of the country, like the, I know we beat satellite camps to death as a topic, but that was a tactical maneuver on his part. Just like, Photos of milk in the steakhouse and hanging out with rappers and taking your shirt off. Like, all of this stuff is done for a reason. And then you have these, this, this crusty core group of Michiganders, of, of Michigan people who truly believe, and this is what bothers me so much, they truly believe that Michigan is 200% clean, that kids want to come to Michigan more than they want to come to another school, and that if they don't come to Michigan, it's because they've been uh, illegally induced. So it's the it's the naivete that proffers. All kids love the love the Big M, the Michigan, the brand, and all that. Bill, and they grow up wanting to be Wolverines, even though they're play, from places like Atlanta or Baltimore or Los Angeles or whatever. They love Michigan the way me middle-aged white guy loved my alma mater, Michigan, and if they end up at Ohio State or Alabama or Ole Miss or Texas, it's because someone has forced their family to take money. (laughs) And I hear this kind of dumbassery from various fan bases from time to time. Well, it's kind of, yeah, it's a default uh, to a degree. Yes, it doesn't, it is not exclusive to Michigan. It is, however, a raging, annoying epidemic at Michigan. And I've never understood why they particularly huff their farts in such an aromatic, aggressive manner. Um, I have nothing to hypothesize as to why. But it constantly comes up on the internet. 
And it, it's, it's bothering me because I want to compliment Michigan without feeding that narrative. So what do I do? Um, tell you, remind yourself that we're talking about the internet and um, that the internet's kind of stupid in a lot right. of ways. And realize that there are a lot of good Michigan fans out there somewhere. Whether you whether you interact with them or you've met them or whatever, there are a lot of very good Michigan fans out there. Just right. like there are a lot of good Penn State fans. I've talked to a lot of them. Uh, you know, despite the there are a lot of good Baylor fans. There are a lot of good. You know, I'm a Missouri guy, so there are a lot of good Kansas fans, et cetera, et cetera. There are, every fan base. This is okay. Every fan base, this is what I've always said and will always continue to say because I like it. Uh, every fan base is 80% the same, mm-hmm. and then 20% is the difference, the history and the geography and all that. And the history of Michigan football is relatively impressive. Right. If you go, well, you know, if you go back 120 years anyway. Um, but, it, you know, it, it just – it is, and that's the, that's the unique part of theirs. Maybe there's an extra strain in there maybe of, of that kind of uh, thinking, but – it's still 80% the same fan base as everybody else. They want their team to do really well. They really like their coach. They, their coach is awesome uh, in most ways. I, I'd love it if he started actually sharing depth charts. But um, <laughs> but regardless, uh, he's awesome in a lot of ways. The school is awesome in a lot of ways. The end. How did you build your Michigan depth chart, depth chart for oh my God. this preview? So the one, did you go the from one scratch? Thing here is, uh, well, I mean, obviously I start with last year's, but um, – the, the one thing that Michigan does have going for them is the fact that um, I, I think some, one of them, I don't remember who it was, one of them on Twitter as I was interacting with them the other day, they said we are the, the spreadsheetiest uh, fan base. And I really honestly think that might be true, partially because it has to be true. Uh, this was Harbaugh, it wasn't where this all started. For years, they've been doing the whole, you know, we're not going to really show you who's redshirted because they're student athletes and there's, this is their second year, so they're sophomores no matter what. You know, all that crap that makes this impossible – but MGO Blog, uh, your bu- your buddies at MGO Blog uh, have been maintaining kind of a running scholarship count and depth chart to show you who has four years of eligibility left, who has three, two, one. Uh, our friends at Maze and Brew, the SB Nation Michigan site, has a lovely spreadsheet set up with with what <laughs> with what as far as they know is the, you know the the pr- the proper eligibility and everything else. So using two or three sites, I got you know ninety five percent of it right. Then I uh, then I basically uh, announced on Twitter, "Hey Michigan, tell me what I'm where I'm wrong." Um, and a couple of readers pointed out, so, you know, a walk on who didn't graduate, even though he was listed as a senior last year, and this and that, and this guy's hurt and all that. And I think I was able to actually get it right. Um, so yes, be, out of sheer necessity and potential, you know, uh, spreadsheet obsession. Uh, the the Michigan fan, internet fan base is very very good with the spreadsheets and with keeping track of it because they have to because nobody sure. else does. Okay. Now, I want to come back to Michigan in a second in terms of the football part, but you, uh, um, I'll be careful in how I say this because I don't want anybody to jump on you. Uh, you you have kind of laughed to us at work about Penn State and the fact that. Again, it's like you said up at the top of the show. It's weird to have Penn State fans so happy with you, and you still—it still happens where you get that icky feeling of like endorsing or really kind of like falling in love with any aspect of Penn State post Sandusky. But they're a really fun football team. Yeah, like on the football part of this, this thing could actually be really fun to watch. Which to hell with the crippling, world-changing. Uh, 
child sex abuse scandal stuff that, you know, rocked the identity of the program to its core, et cetera, so forth. They were never that fun. <laughs> they were good at times, but they were never that fun. And they may be um, the funnest of the funnest this year. Yeah, and it is. Um, I realized as I wrote that I, um, that I think I also, let's see, I'm going to look up my Oklahoma State uh, preview. I'm pretty sure, I hope I didn't use exactly the same language, but I also called them a, an amazingly fun football team. Um, and let's see here. Oklahoma State, where are you, Oklahoma State? Yeah, okay, Oklahoma State might be football's most fun team. And then for Penn State, I said... Can you break me down a funnest top five right now? Penn State is fun as hell and ready for an encore. Okay, so that means Oklahoma State won, Penn State two. Can you give me uh, three through five? In the tweet, I, I contradicted myself. I'm pretty sure I said Penn State became the most fun team. So whatever, you, we gonna, this is, we're talking about fun. We're going to have more than one fun as hell team. All right, give, uh, me, give, me, three, give me three more so we do top five. All right, Off the top Penn of your State head right now, fun go. as hell. Oklahoma State is fun as hell. Okay. Um, let's see with it. So it, we pretty much have to include a PAC 12 team here. Let's see. Um, yeah. But which one Arizona? No, Arizona state. No, California. No, Colorado, what about Washington, no. Oregon. I broke him. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't, okay. I don't think, I don't think they qualify. Three more bill. Three more bill. I would like to think, but I would like to think that Missouri gets some uh, some fun cred here simply for the fact that they re- they're attempting to run a Baylor offense with a bad defense in the SEC. Okay, that uh, that like may think that that, that may just them. be like a an errant shopping cart careening through a parking lot. I don't know if that's fun. Let's go three more, three big guys. We got Penn State, we got Okie State. We how about God? I can't say Georgia Southern anymore because they went and all. Got they are all, not going to be fun. They got all unfun last year. Uh, man, uh, Wyoming chucks it deep, uh, you know, and they're relatively inefficient. That seems to be the, the theme here is who goes deep. Hey, baby, I'll take, I'll take the pokes any day. Give me two more, two more. How about, uh, you know, well, screw it. I'm putting Navy in there just cause I, you know, I'm, I always enjoy Navy. All right. I, I don't one more. Care. I don't one more. They don't throw and they don't run with tempo. They're, they're on my list. And then I am going to go with drum roll. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? I, uh, I would. I would certainly. I'm. I'm running through all the teams here because I feel like I'm going to forget like seven of them. But uh, you, know, do you have any nominations? Head. You throw. You toss them in here. One more. Unamas. Do you want me to stall? Memphis. I like it. So what did I just say? Memphis Navy. You, you said you. You did exactly what this podcast does. You started big and broad, and you went with <laughs> Oklahoma State and Penn State, and then minutia as hell with Wyoming. And Navy, and which Memphis. I might argue with you a little bit on, and then you finish with Memphis. I don't feel good about the Wyoming pick, honestly. I'm I'm looking for I'm shopping. What for what, what is more fun about Navy this year than in years past? Oh, nothing. It's just that they're so damn reliable about it. Uh, just that's what makes it fun. Uh, you know, honestly, you know, it, both because PAPN and not PAPN, uh, I'm going to eliminate Wyoming and put in Middle Tennessee. Because I got to watch Middle Tennessee in person last year, and and when they're running with when they're rolling with Stockstill and Richie Lee, um, yeah. they are terrifying. They don't have Octavius Mathers this year, and that hurts because he was he he in pure fun Penn State fashion, he was either a one yard gain or a sixty yard gain. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel much better about putting Middle Tennessee or maybe Louisiana Tech in there instead of Wyoming. Yeah, that one. You see, I, I might just actually have to veto if you had gone Louisiana Tech. Uh, it makes no sense. It's just illogical to have a fun Skip Holtz team. Doesn't make sense to me. Does I, not compute. It's it, but it's happened like three straight years. They've been I fun. Know, as well. we I know. I can't ignore it forever. 
It's going to be really weird if, if Louisiana Tech is as engaging again this year, and then do we just start talking about Skip Holtz getting a major job again? Like, what, how does this work? I refuse. That's where I, that's where I draw my line. He is perfect where he is, and I refuse to entertain the thought of him going anywhere else. Well, that's not how. Until I have to change, I'm not changing. That's not how capitalism works. He's not going to stay in Rustin forever. Um, what is it about that job, as we really fall into this ditch, that just seems to bring out the funnery? I mean, look, <laughs> there are pockets. It's not like Sonny Dykes was terrible at Cal at all. There's a lot of extenuating circumstances that we talked about on previous shows that just sort of messed that thing up. But at the same time, man, when he was at Tech, good Lord, was that guaranteed <laughs> entertainment. You know, I mean... Honestly, if we're if we're putting if we're putting on our you know sociology hats here, I would say that the you know part of your school personality comes from who you can recruit. Okay, uh, and so you could make a case that Louisiana Tech is in a position where they probably are going to be able to land. You know, even go back to what's his name, Troy Edwards. You know, way back when. Wow. They, like they've been a, they've had access to good skill guys. Uh, and and the occasional squatty three hundred fifteen pounder who has fifteen tackles for loss. Um, which is also fun as hell. And um, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just a pure geography. Here's who they can recruit, and it creates this kind of team, and that team's fun as hell kind of thing. Win tech you can is change good. it if you want, Yeah, but if you kind of accept what you can recruit, then you end up with that kind of team. Win tech is good. It is always because they have fashioned themselves, and this is also why, and look, I'm, I'm diametrically opposed to them in this issue of not scheduling ULM and not – engaging those programs around you to create really good rivalries. But the reason why they don't do it is they're battling a very delicate perception uh, of once you get, so if you're in that I-20 corridor of East Texas all the way to, I mean, really East Alabama, and you don't get recruited by an SEC school, Tech for a long time had this perception of being like, we are the best of the rest. We are the the best mid-major in the region. You can stay pretty much close to home, have a very similar sort of collegiate experience. Um, and they were good at cleaning up on talent that way for a long time. So that's probably the single reason why, although they would never admit it to someone like me, they will never schedule like ULM or schools in the area to build like successful, financially successful rivalry games. It's because they don't want to be, they, in their, in their eyes, they don't want to be brought down. Right. And, that's a huge problem in college football because they're not the only ones who think who operate like that. Right. And, and if we were to, I know they've kind of hinted, it's going to be interesting by the way to, you know, conference USA media days, the Sunbelt media days. Cause you know, you it's, it's fair to assume that the whole realignment of the mid majors topic will come up. And if there is realignment of the mid majors, then, you know, it, it becomes very obvious that a situation like ULM, uh, UL, not ULL, I'm not going to get yelled at, UL, oh, no. uh, and Louisiana Tech all end up in the same conference. Well, Which is, in a way, is kind of unfair to Louisiana Tech because they've been a better program. But um, Well, they've been a better, I mean, uh, I don't know. They've won under a, a few different coaches. You know, they had, they had a good year under Gary Crouton, for, for God's sake. Um, so let's leave it at this. Buyer beware if your school is looking at a Louisiana Tech head coach <laughs> um, because there is a weird bubble that exists in, I think it's Livingston Parish. Okay. You want me to just scream down the hall right now and find out if it is? Sure. I don't even know if she can hear me. 
take a PAP in bets right now and say it's Livingston Parish. And, okay. while, and while I do this, you can prep up whatever next segment we're to go to. I kind of did want to go back to Michigan in terms of like the football parts. Okay. I'm going to call my wife on the phone right now. I bet she doesn't answer. Does your wife answer her phone? Uh, well, I mean, if it's me, if she recognizes the number, sure. She never answered. No, I mean, my wife knows it's me and doesn't answer. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta say, Google is not looking good for your, your bet here. It's not Livingston Parish. It looks like Southeastern Louisiana is Livingston. Yes. Yeah, see. Thanks. Love you too, honey. What's the parish? Uh, Lincoln. Lincoln! I knew it started with an L. Okay, people, well, see, I know people from Ruston are probably screaming. I don't know if they listen to the show. Um, Bill. Yes. Michigan. <laughs> I, yes. Thought Mich- I thought Michigan was going to be a contender next year. Yes. There's not a lot that of roadblocks this year. That was the best part about uh, Michigan fans lapping up my previews. I basically said, yeah, they'll be pretty good this year and amazing next year. That was the whole right. premise of the preview. Because uh, they do have a lot of pieces to replace. And whoever those pieces are uh, they're going to be back next year and they're probably going to have been four or five star recruits so right. yeah this year really is just about getting your affairs in order basically uh to make a big run in 2017 and i didn't really focus on this in the preview which maybe that's also why they liked it um but you know it's we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago before we left like part of the thing is yeah i mean yeah they're gonna break through next year well guess what ohio state's still gonna be awesome next year uh ohio state's not going away and so um, we, we talked a lot about, you know, moving the goalposts on, on, on Harbaugh and everything. And he, you know, he's gone, he inherited a, a, a team with a losing record. He's won 10 games twice. And already, you know, we've made memes out of, you know, haha you can't finish higher than third in the, in the big 10 East. Well, yeah, that was a bad team. Two years ago, that was a very, very mediocre football team. And they're awesome now to the point where it feels disappointing that they're only third. Well, but I mean, next year, uh, Ohio State's going to bring back Mike. Well, I guess maybe Mike Weber. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he could, could go pro if he wants to. Whoever the receivers are that emerge this year at Ohio State, they'll be back next year. Most of the offensive line will be back. Uh, a good portion of the defensive line, which returns everybody from last year, will also be back and will be maybe the best in the country. The new DBs will be back. The new, uh, at least one uh, good linebacker will be back. Like the whole Ohio State's going to have another contender next year. So Michigan next year, they're going to surge and then have to go to Columbus. And so that does become interesting after a while. You think about, um, you know, the, just the effects of that. Like, okay, this is our title team and we still can't beat Ohio State. That becomes, uh, that, 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 that fills an angsty fan base with angst. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that very much. And it, just because there's literally nothing wrong with the apparatus right now except for the fact they haven't beaten Ohio State. You could have an undefeated or one-loss Michigan team lose again this year and people are going to think that there is an issue, systemic issue, problem in the program, even though he's, he's doing more with Michigan than anyone's done in, what, 15, 20 years? Right. When was that, when was that sort of uh, national title they had? 97. 20, 97. 20, yeah, 20 uh, pushing it. 10 years, definitely. Um, you know, but, yeah, we'll say 10. We'll, just, we'll, we'll play it safe and not get yelled at and say he's done more than any Michigan coach in the last I'm going to get yelled at by Michigan fans regardless. I'm fine with that. Right. I pay. I, I personally pay college football players. I don't know if you knew that. Um, it's in the benefits package of Vox Media. Bill, that's why. That's why Missouri's landing all these hot hot recruits. <laughs> Is that what you're doing with yours? I'm just paying them all to go to Wyoming. <laughs> uh, question that was asked to me during our hiatus in casual conversation with a real person in the real world. It happens. I, I try not to let it happen, but it happens. Urban Meyer. 
since we're talking about Michigan. Okay. And we're still sort of processing Bob Stoops because Bob Stoops literally hits it, hits the perfect moment at the blackjack table of like, he never really, or let's switch metaphors, slot machine. He never really like got the thing where the lights go off and the fireworks start and like, you know, you get the big check from the casino, but he absolutely destroyed the slots, right? Made a ton of money and then just stood up right on a hot streak, working it and said, you know what? I'm done. I'm out. I'm so flush. People are now looking around and thinking, what's the shelf life for the established college football coaches? Harbaugh is in this phase where he seems invincible and will never die. We're still talking about him in the context of going back to the NFL if he wins a national title at Michigan, which is what a lot of people have told me in the coaching world. If he did build Michigan up in the next three years, win a title, he would go back to the league. Urban Meyer, 53 years old, Bill. Mm-hmm. When is Urban Meyer out of co- Jim Harbaugh, by the way. I know, and that's what's, well, well, you just, man, you killed my thesis. How long is Urban Meyer going to coach? I will say, you know, I think we, because of his little, his, his, his brief retirement and all the health issues he had there at the, at the end of the Florida tenure, he looked so tired and frail and, and beaten at that time. He doesn't look that anymore. He looks like Urban Meyer. He doesn't look like somebody who has to retire anytime soon. So, right. Um, I, you know, if, if this whole machine continues to churn along and he ends up, you know, among other things this coming year, you know, ending Alabama's run of top ranked recruiting classes, uh, and everything else, like, I don't see why he, this has to change in the next, uh, you know, five, 10 years at least. Um, you know, I, who knows, maybe he gets a wild hair and, and decides the NFL, uh, is, is worth checking out. I highly doubt it. Can't see it. Um, and maybe he does. He enjoyed TV enough, or his kids remind him that you know don't stay too long and all that. Maybe he retires by sixty, but sixty is still seven years away. And so, yeah, I, I don't. The the signs, you know, the signs aren't there. Let's put it that way. Um, and, I see like five. I see like five years. Five strong. Five strong years in which you start the season looking at an Ohio State depth chart and seeing no weaknesses, no flaws, seeing a a pipeline of recruiting that's akin to any like top of their game SEC program, just what we're seeing right now. And then maybe after five, it's okay. I might have one more national title out of that. Yeah. I've done it. The system works. It's inarguable. Maybe it's time to go. I don't say, I definitely don't see urban Meyer coaching at 70. I kind of do see him coaching at 60 though. And um, Jim Harbaugh, I see coaching at seventy-five with with like three new kids, and you know, all, uh, you know, all that milk, uh, you know, continuing to make him look like he's fifty-five years old. But um, but yeah, you do figure that that Meyer's probably not as likely to be around uh, at a super old age. But yeah, they're both fifty-three. That's crazy. Um, and you know, I, I when I was writing the Ohio State preview, I was I uh, compared it to. You know what? What Saban and Meyer are going on right now is kind of like a Nadal Federer thing. Um, you know, in ju- just in terms of you know. I'm sorry, Bill. Who are those people? <sighs> Tennis players. Anyway, okay. Uh, they've won. What was it? Seven of the last eleven national titles. Uh, and it was funny. I when I when I pointed this out and, and noted that even with Clemson's national title last year, it's still basically the big two. We're in the era of the big two right now because they've still won seven of the last eleven. Uh, yes. Meyer and Saban, 
um, we we were taking bets, like how long before a crabby Clemson fan shows up in my mentions? It actually took a while, uh, right. probably because they didn't they didn't you know pay any attention because it was Ohio State and you know we killed them. I don't need to read about Ohio State, but um, but yeah, it actually took a while to get a crabby Clemson fan in my mentions about that. But I, that's that's how it works. Federer and Nadal, tennis players, didn't win every tennis Grand Slam event for, uh, every single year, mm-hmm. but they just won a damn vast majority of them for a long period of time until okay. a Djokovic, another tennis player, okay. came along to change that. Okay, um, and so maybe Swin- maybe Dabo, 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 is the. Um, is the is the Djokovic of the scenario, or maybe it's Jimbo, or maybe it's maybe it's eventually Harbaugh. I don't know, but um, right now we're still in the Big Two era. Um, but he is the Nadal in the situation, in that Nadal, a tennis player, is uh, a decent amount, uh, is a couple years younger than Federer, another tennis player, and has a chance to catch up, basically. Or that's how, that's how we thought back when we thought that these players were actually going to retire. Now that clearly they're never going to retire, but in theory. Saban will retire first, and Myra will have a chance to catch up a little bit. It's just something we never talk about. Yeah, because we're, we're busy talking about the AAC. No, I just mean, like, coaching ages in general. If you look at, like, all of the – it's definitely a blind spot in my reporting because God knows I wrestle with middle age as much as anybody else who's just plowing blindly to, towards 40. But when we look at coaches, I think – it's a big mistake of ours to look at them as like finite, ageless sort of like wizards or something. I mean, they have the same life cycle going on. Hell, that's what defined Urban Meyer going from Florida to unemployment to Ohio State was real life circumstances, life changing on you. And we joke about Bill Snyder and we notice when coaches are younger than us or, or our age or something like that, but that's about it. And by the way, Bill Snyder beating off cancer at like 90, beating away. Ugh, let me. You doing phrasing? Be, beating away it's temporarily it's defeating Defe- uh, that sounded okay anyway hey you want your Willie Fritz reference to the podcast sure 57 years old yeah that's been a hallmark of his move since leaving Sam Houston State was that was one of the things that we noticed about him and in people took his age in context of he's going to move a little bit faster up the up the chain if he can because he didn't get the chances that other coaches did, he was he was in the JUCO and yeah. uh, FCS, and, and that is kind of funny. Um, just the the mix because you never know when you're going to get your first opportunity. I was right. I, I've been putting together uh, tomorrow's Syracuse preview. Uh, you know, Babers, Babers, fifty five, older than Meyer and Harbaugh, uh, and this is his no what, way. Uh, yeah, he, he, this is his sixth year as a head coach. He's had like three coaching lives. He just never got the. Head, co- I mean, I'm not going to go into why we all have our own, you know, we can have our theories on that, but yes. regardless, you know, he was, he was Arizona's offensive coordinator when they went like 12 and one in 1998. No, he, like no, he, he, no, he, that's and, not and, real. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, that's what Wikipedia tells me anyway, and they're never wrong. Um, but yeah, he's been around forever, and, but it, it's just all like w- when we notice them. So yeah, if you get a head coaching job, what was Meyer like thirty seven, thirty eight when he got the Bowling Green job? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's that's how we kind of determine age. Is how long have you been in my uh, universe? Yes, exactly. And we all and, view people to be the same sort of like hazy forty ish age, which is just right. not the case. <laughs> um. Well, now I'm just so tempted to completely derail a show that can't really be derailed if you're never. Yeah, we, don't have, we didn't have rails for this show too. All right, I'm just gonna go through some of my coaches real fast. 
Um, I'm just this is not a preference or a bias or I'm just looking at coaches that I've interviewed recently. So I'm gonna pull Charlie, a few. Charlie's up. 56. I'm gonna pull a few up. Um, I'm trying to think of a good stumper here. We're gonna fill some of this. We're gonna fill some of this dead air real fast. Oh. Okay. Uh, here's here's one that I was a little bit off on. Uh, All right, James James Franklin. Uh, 46. I was thinking 48. You you won Price is Right. It was 45. Well, I've known him for a long time. I didn't know his age. Um, Bill, how old is Mark Stoops? I have not talked to him recently, by the way. How old is Mark <laughs> uh, Stoops? He's got to be 50? 50 it is! Woo. Bill, how old is Willie Taggart? Uh, 43. He is 40. Okay. And I can text him this afternoon and let him know that you added years to his age. Okay. Well, I was adding distinguishment to his age. Would you prefer I do that? Sure. Bill, how old? How old is Texas San Antonio second-year head coach Frank Wilson? He's a little older because he was in high school for a little while. Um, The high school coaching ranks, not high school. How old? Uh, Forty-three. Damn, are you googling this? Oh, seriously? Awesome. Yeah, he's forty-three. Bill, how old is Dabo Sweeney? Let's see, Dabo was a player in the early 90s, so that means he's probably about 45, 46, 46. 47. Yeah, okay, I'll take it. Man, you're way better at this than I am. Bill, how old is Florida State head coach Jimbo Fisher? Ooh, uh, older. I'm going to say 49. 51. Okay. You've nailed all of them in a range of like a what's the what's the math term I'm looking for in a range of two. Hey, hey, well, yeah, margin hey, of hey, error. Margin of error. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a good one, Mike Leach. I don't have pulled up in front of me. I'm going to go with 47. No, no, he's been around a long time. His first coaching job was 87. He's 56 50? years old. He's 56. Wait, Mike Gundy? No, Mike Leach. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Mike Gundy because I was trying to do the, the head back. I was trying to do the math from I'm a man on 40. Yeah, that no, was Mike Leach. Yeah, I would have definitely guessed older from Mike Leach. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Bill, how old is Dana Red Bull Holgerson? 44. 46, Bill. Okay. Okay. Bill. So what we're proving here really is that this isn't as hard as we thought it was. We're actually doing pretty well. Here's an inter- now, and, and again, to your earlier point. How old is first year, first time head coach Jeff Collins at the Temple? At, oh, at the Temple. Uh, he's also been around a little. No. Uh, I, oh, this one I'm completely blind on. 42. 46. Oh, okay. Uh, Chris Peterson. Mm, 51. Ooh, nice. He was 52. Okay. All right. Um... <laughs> oh, okay. Another good one. Uh, while we're on the West Coast, David Shaw. 41. Oh, wow. I thought I, I was aiming high. I was thinking like 47. He's 44. Um, we've probably bored people long enough on this. If any coaches are listening, I get under on all your ages because I think yeah, pretty you're much. youthful and beautiful. I have to kiss coach ass for a living. Uh, Bill, I think what we just proved there is that when you think about it, you can get close to that range. We just don't ever talk about those people in that context. That's what I'm getting at. Also, this year, a bunch of people who are my age are going to get hired for Power 5 jobs, and it's going to freak me out. 
Yeah, Matt Campbell. I'm like five years older than Matt Campbell. Wait, how old is Matt Campbell? Actually, he's a little older now, but he was he was like 31 or 32 when he first got um, his his first job. So now he is. Oh, he's Matt 37. Campbell's 37. I'm only, I'm only, right. yeah, I'm only a year older than him. Fine. Jesus. Um, that's, a, that's a nice reminder that I've been doing this for like six years because when I first started writing these previews, he was like 31. Bill, mm-hmm. well, let's pivot forward. What are you on the precipice of in, in, in preview land? Now, you are wrapping up the Big Ten. Is I, there... Big, we, Big Ten's done been wrapped up. We I did had, the pod. We did, so we did the uh, the goodness pods, as I, as I had just made up right now. Um, on yesterday, you dropped that in our work slack, I think. So um, can you break down the goodness pods and start at the bottom because it's fun that way? Yeah, it was like five days ago. But um, anyway... Tier one for the Big Ten was Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. Tier two was Wisconsin. Tier three was pretty much everybody else. Northwestern, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Maryland, Indiana, Michigan State. Uh, Tier four was Purdue, Illinois, Rutgers. And um, this honestly, I I didn't get just a ton of arguing about this. I actually know there are eight new comments on the thread for SB Nation, so let me make sure I haven't. No, they're, they're just arguing with each other. Um, I this want really, to object to that. the easiest one. Yeah, I want to object to some different points, and then I just sit there and I'm like, oh, okay. To me, the only really objectionable parts are teams five through nine. Uh, Northwestern, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Maryland. You can easily shuffle those in any order. They ba- they're basically tied at this point. It's just kind of your flavor. Do you want the oh, high ceiling? Oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. You backdoor trolled Iowa. Explain. You've got Iowa lumped in with uh, Minnesota with a first-year head coach. You've got well, Iowa lumped in with like nerd school that can't recruit talent Northwestern. No, I'm just giving you the Iowa guy drinking a beer to tailgate perspective. Why do you hate them? <laughs> well, that was I did get a couple. See, uh, S&P still hates Iowa, as always. Well, yeah, sure. If um, they say it exactly like that, because if they did, to me, that's a huge amount of progress for you. And what I mean by that is, is that during the inexplicable talk to your family or talk to your kids about Iowa run, everyone thought you hated Iowa. So if they're ascribing it to a third party, that means that we've, we've got some progress in the system. People are educating and realizing it's not Bill. It's just this evil machine that he built. Sure. That's good. Okay. Well, here's how I here, – so basically the, the Big Ten West race is going to be Wisconsin versus somebody. And I couldn't completely decide on who that somebody was going to be. And, it, and as I was saying, it depends on your flavor that you, you prefer. You've got the high floor team in Northwestern. I think they return, they return a lot, and I think they are the most likely to not be bad. You've got the high, you've got the, uh, high ceiling team in Nebraska that has to replace more than you probably realize and could very easily struggle to replace those guys because uh-huh. here's where I remind you that Mike Riley hasn't had all that many good teams in the last six, seven uh-huh. years. Uh, you've got the hot extreme variability team in Minnesota um, in that, you know, they were better than people thought last year, uh, especially late in the year. But now they've got a new, not only do they have a new coach, they have a co- drastic personality change in the head coaching department, which can either, which can be transformative in either of two ways, uh, depending on how, you know, the new players accept him and all that. And so, you know, this could be, uh, just looking purely on paper, there's a lot to like about Minnesota, but you never know until we see a, you know, the last time PJ Fleck took over somebody else's recruits, it, 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 they went like one and 11 or 0 and 12 or two and 10 or whatever. 
So that could go in a lot of different ways. And Iowa's basically the opposite. They are the, the low variability team. I don't see them as having the ceiling that other, that a couple of these other teams have. Although, uh, after I wrote this preview, they got James Butler, the the workhorse running back from Nevada, who I really, really like, uh, who and who adds kind of an extra little, you know, now they've got him and uh, Wadley. So when the angry Iowa running back hating God takes one of them, there's still another one there uh, to finish the season. And so I kind of like them a little more than I did when I write the pre- wrote the preview. But again, you're just basically mashing them all together. And if you're talking about power rankings, then you throw Maryland in there as well because they're kind of a mystery. Um, you, th- you can throw Indiana in there as well because they're kind of a mystery. Suddenly, in two years, they went from great offense, terrible defense, to great defense, bad offense, mm-hmm. uh, and then <clears throat> hired Mike DeBoard. And so um, you've got a lot. You've got a lot of teams there that could really go in any different any any different order. Um, and then the other deba- point of debate in our Slack room when I dropped this in was the fact that I still had Michigan State in Tier 3 despite the fact that they've basically kicked everybody off the team in the last three months. So whereas most people who weren't necessarily educated would look at that and say, he's got Michigan State low, what you're saying is you've got Michigan State high. <laughs> there was a case. Basically, now you it basically if you're going to say that Michigan State's good this year, it requires – Nothing but faith in Mark D'Antonio because he has a brand new roster at this point. You know, the guys who the guys who are on the team two years ago, most of them aren't there anymore uh, other than the running back. What's his name? And um, you've got a b- brand new defense like, you know, LJ Scott is the running back's name. Uh, you got a brand new defense. A lot of guys graduated. A lot of guys got kicked off. A couple guys still might get kicked off the team. A couple got hurt. Uh, and so now you're looking at a, just a, a, a completely real rebuilt defensive front that might play a couple walk-ons, which um, that happened to Missouri last year too, and it was a little on the scary side. Um, mm-hmm. You know, walk-ons are great stories, but you know, there's often a reason why they're walk-ons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a super young uh, secondary as well, and, mm-hmm. and the secondary just got repeatedly torched last year. So mm-hmm. brand new personnel, brand new starting eleven. Maybe that you know the, he didn't forget how to coach. His his assistants didn't forget how to coach. Maybe that ends up being an okay thing. Maybe this ends up being the next the start of the next Michigan State run. But on paper, there's almost nothing to work with here. It, I, it, I, I want to meet the I want to meet the fan blogger journalist who's telling me about the next Michigan State run right now. I would like to I would like to engage that person in conversation. The case to be made for that, and it's not a strong case, but the case to be made for that is the the recruits uh, who would be making up that run are they they're probably better recruits from a recruiting rankings perspective than the the guys who started the last run, a, lot, a, lot, a decent amount of, of four star and, and high three star guys in this mix. Um, so, you know, in that way, the upside might be just as high, but it's just so hard. That's the thing that we've talked about a lot. Like when you are relying on a way to win that doesn't re- involve top 10 recruiting, you have to constantly find those diamonds in the rough. You have to constantly develop guys at a higher slope than other guys are developing their guys. And it's just so hard to maintain that. So, you know, it's, it's easy to do it. Well, not easy, but it's not, a lot of guys do it once one recruiting cycle, a few Mm -hmm. of them do it uh, for a couple recruiting cycles. D'Antonio did it for almost 10 years at Michigan state, but it's so hard to just continue doing that. The odds are always against you, even though it could absolutely happen. What if, uh, no inside knowledge. This is not me with my reporter hat on. What if it's really bad this year and he just says, you know what? I did something that Michigan State probably should have never done in the modern age. 
I got him to the Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, we beat Urban Myers, Ohio State. We, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm good. I'm gonna step. I'm, I'm gonna step down. I'm serious. What if that's the one job that Rich Homie Quan is in jail? It's all gone downhill. Half your team might be like. What if that? No, I mean, I'm. We always knew there was a fragility to what Michigan State was doing because of the circumstances around Michigan being down, Penn State being invisible. Like all of this was going to end in a certain way. It just wasn't supposed to necessarily implode like it has. All right, we knew that there was. This was finite. He's sixty-one. If you take it, if you take just about any more dings in in the scandal stuff. Rebuilding this underneath a now functioning Harbaugh, Michigan, Ohio State, Meyer, and a now functioning Penn State with Franklin. I don't even know if it's possible. So why not just shut it down? Counterpoint: He's making like four or five million dollars this year. He's got money though. And if he does not, if he doesn't resign, he will make another four or five million dollars next year. I don't know if he's worried about that. Uh, I'm. I'm. I, the the motive plus he's a he's a football coach and if he quits this job what job is he going to get at age sixty two? I don't think you resign. I think he would go work for Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. <laughs> I'm not joking. But I think he would have to be fired to do that. I don't think he's going to resign. There's a, I mean there's logic sure but I, I it, okay all right okay I don't think fair it's fair fair what gets him fired. I don't know if that's I, possible. I would like to think that no, I, mean, I would like Two to think that should not get him fired. No, 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 nothing should get him fired this year, other than it, them finding out that you know, he knew all about yeah. terrible background of recruits and yada yeah. yada. I mean, really, he's handled it. Uh, you know, a lot of management is what happens after things go wrong, and he's kicked guys off the team. Like, I mean, he's he, he's jettisoning guys, jettisoning guys when when it's time to do so. So I can't right. really complain in that regard. Right. Um, but yeah, barring something like that. Absolutely nothing should get him fired this year based on because of what he's done over the last 10 years. So I would hope nothing. I always kind of get weirded out when an athletic director freaks out in that regard. Um, but uh, next year, <laughs> you know, if he, if he goes to a 10 this year, the next year, uh, the, the seat's awfully hot. And he better hope that the, all these sophomores and juniors and redshirt freshmen that are playing this year uh, have uh, the ceiling that he thinks they do so that they can rebound next year. But it's going to be tricky. So, in addition to being what we think is a high character person, and I just couch, we think because we think, yeah, we have no, we have no reason to think otherwise. But maybe there's so we do. And honestly, the way college football's gone the last couple of years, I just, I'm, I'd put a caveat on anybody. Um, but so we, he, we regret to inform you that the duck is racist, isn't that a milkshake duck is racist, right? Uh, <laughs> um. He's done so much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to point out all the good logical reasons why they wouldn't can him. I think here's the other nefarious athletic director reason. I don't know who's lining up for this gig. Oh, it's it's a Big Ten job. And, it is and a Big Ten pay, job, Bill. But pay three, four million dollars a year. You're absolutely you right, it. Bill. But you know what? You better get it guaranteed. You better get you better get your three year deal guaranteed. I think he'd get a good amount guaranteed. I think they. I'm not worried about that. I think they'll. Okay, you call Pat Narduzzi or you call whoever. You better. You better. They better get that money guaranteed because asking someone to come in and win, or having Rose Bowl expectations, it it's sort of insane. 
I, yeah, I would, I would, I, they're not going to struggle in that regard. They're not going to get a Jim Harbaugh or an Urban Meyer. Yes. Uh, but That's they, my point. But they you, could get the next Mark D'Antonio. You probably have a, a still functioning version of the best best case scenario. So that's why you know, I think you don't fire him. And I, I don't know what else is out there that's going to fit MSU better. And does a name does a name just suddenly pop out to you? Well, Narduzzi is the obvious one. Um, just because of that connection. But we'll I mean, see. Yeah, and, I don't know. You know. Give Narduzzi another season or two. Maybe, maybe he's in position for something better or bigger. Right? We don't know. We don't know, Dell. I really didn't mean to depress everybody by breaking down the futility of Michigan State this much, but um, it's really the only thing that we can sort of pick up on on that grouping that you. Speaking of futility, give me that started, transition. I have I have started the ACC as well. Ooh, um, wow, salty. And it's it was man. Okay, never mind the the teams. Uh, just the going from Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State to end last week. Yes. Um, which got probably more clicks than any three previews I've ever written have. You know um, it. Going from that to not being able to find an updated depth chart for Virginia, like it was like <laughs> it was like I was right back to previewing uh, like Central Michigan. Um, that good. That huh? was jarring. That was jarring. Is that um, good, huh? I. It was. It, <laughs> um, Virginia is probably going to struggle this year. Yeah, I'd say that's a I'd say that's probably <laughs> a healthy assumption there, Bill, based off of having eyes. Um they are uh they're still undefined. Like I when I was writing the Boston College preview today, it was really hard to come up with a different answer. Like, oh hey look, they've still got some awesome talent in the front seven and hey look, they're getting another new quarterback and they probably are going to be terrible on offense again. Uh, and Scott Loeffler wants to move with tempo, which means they'll be going three and out in 30 seconds instead of 60. Salty. I mean, tempo is a very good answer if you're getting first downs. you got to get the first downs first. Um, but Virginia is like undefined. It was kind of – it was at least interesting to talk about Virginia because there aren't any – the, the, you know they they kind of almost molded into shape in the front seven. They, their their run defense was was on and off, but pretty good last year, and they could be interesting. Their secondary uh, has there are a couple pieces that got hurt that are back. They could be a legitimately Bronco Mendenhall ish defense, um, and then their offense is completely undefined because it's still a new staff, and and uh, they you know we don't really know what they. You know, don't completely know what they want to do. We don't know what they can do because they didn't have any big play weapons last year. Uh, they had one guy who was a big play weapon for about three games and then wasn't. Um, but yeah, they're at least interesting to, to talk about because I don't know the answers. BC, it was hard to feel like you don't know the answers. BC is BC. Um, the next team on the list, though, is Syracuse, and that's going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to Syracuse this year because I don't know the answers. He's, so he's, just he's had take, a massive second-year breakthrough everywhere yeah. he's gone. But wait, uh, before, before things get exciting, hang on, before things get exciting, the TLDR on those two programs is we knew because of the athletic director quandary that, that BC was going to be in stasis. So whatever assumption you had on BC or whatever your, your formed opinion was, if you chose to, to have one or care at all, it's the same thing entering this year. Yeah, change, is going to happen, change is going to happen this year. Um, as far as the other tricky part is, we all assume that Adazio is bad and that he's going to get fired, but he he kind of has had three winning seasons in four years. Right. Uh, so it's kind of hard to it's hard to do. Like you can make a case that he's actually really underrated. The problem is that nobody's showing up. Yes. Um, 
it's a very, very, very hard sell it, in, in general. Especially when your games, because you're good at defense, because your games feature an amazing amount of three and outs. Um, it's just, it's a hard product to sell at the moment, even though they're going seven and six every. No, I mean, gutting out wins the way they are might probably be the best thing to do logically, like in college football terms, but there are bigger beasts to serve when you're trying to sell college football in the city of Boston. So it, I mean, it may not work just because of that. And throwing um, the ball seems to be a pretty good selling point. When you, you The know, thing with Virginia is, I think the longer that people walk by Virginia and not notice the under construction tarp, the better. Because they 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 were in a bad situation in terms of I, I think goodwill when they got rid of London people were very frustrated with him but they had also bought in f- with him and on him for so long. Oh, that, I don't know. I think they were ready. No, no, no. They were ready. That no. That's my point. Was it, it, everyone was definitely ready when he when he went. It was time. All that. I'm not. I'm not criticizing that move at all. But what I'm saying is when he got there because he was from Richmond because. He was a native guy because he had this... I mean, you remember the game day stories about him being a cop? And they really, really pushed him is what I'm, was what I'm getting at. And so whoever came in was going to get less goodwill because it's someone that everyone got behind and that the university invested in. And it, this is Virginia, so look at it through that lens. It didn't work. People were burnt out. And, and it's just like when uh, one of these SEC schools that's not really into basketball hires someone. Like if Bruce Pearl doesn't work at Auburn, it's going to be the same thing. That next guy who comes in, Auburn fans are going to be like, whatever. You know, we, we, we bought in so big on this name guy last time. Bronco benefits from a lack of attention right now. If they can maintain a lack of attention and build something. Virginia is one of those teams I look at where – like if I had to write paragraphs about them, not the way you do, but just in terms of like the more objective program building kind of stuff or things I hear from other coaches, it's like Rutgers. It's like Illinois. It's really hard to find out like, okay, problem identified. What do you do about it? Yeah, Virginia is an amazing – Charlottesville is an amazing college town. Virginia is a gorgeous campus. They've got a lot yeah, of – Yeah, no, no doubt. They're good at basketball. They're good at a lot of the, the smaller sports. But football is I, – I still – my favorite story is um, when I was prepping uh, the 1990 Virginia chapter for my book, The 50 Best College. Now on sale at Amazon. I um, – now on sale at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. BN.com. Nobody uses that junk ass. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so the, my funniest, my favorite story there was, I mean, they, they were in the ACC. They were a power conference team technically. Uh, but when they went to number one, uh, the, the infrastructure there was, there was no infrastructure there to handle it. Like so many, they got so many press credential requests, like heading into that Georgia tech game, especially like the, the press box was overloaded. They had absolutely no idea. It just happened so quickly. And they, they were suddenly a major conference team, like a real major team. Uh, they, they were not, it, it, this was 1990 and they were not prepared to be a major conference team. So that, that story always cracks me up. But um, no, I, I think because maybe because of what you were saying with London too, you know, he was a local guy and all that going, just pulling Mendenhall out of left field. Like nobody saw that one coming. Uh, he has no local ties. Uh, he went to like Oregon state. No, he's, he's a Mormon. And I, 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 let me be clear. What I mean by that is he's a, like, no, he's a Pacific <laughs> Northwest Rocky mountain Mormon. And, it's an insular it's an insular culture and that's why he was a badass defensive coordinator in that region he was a badass i think he was a badass coach if a BYU head coach could be badass i think he just caught some extremely bad breaks bad. 
Um, I think the, yeah. the heaps thing was a problem at BYU. We could have Matt Brown on, and he could break all this down because he is still very polarizing in the BYU community, which means that people are polarized on the positive end towards him too. To go to Virginia just doesn't make any sense for either party. This is the Mike Riley hire that we don't talk about enough. I um, and by the way, like I, I squeezed this into my preview, even though it didn't fit because I love this. So I think my favorite piece that I've written this uh, this entire or I've read, excuse me, this entire off season, uh, was by ESPN's David Hale in mid June. Uh, he wrote about uh, this story was called "Welcome to Bronco Mendenhall's Book Club," and it's you can find the link in the Virginia preview. It's awesome. Like that, he had a. Uh, one of the players they were hoping would be a difference maker last year, he ended up uh, not being able to play. He had a, like an illness and all these other things going on. Um, Mendenhall basically just started giving him books to read. And um, like his office is, he has a huge bookshelf and it's organized in certain ways. It, it's, it's a really, it's a neat little story. And it's a reminder that Mendenhall's a weird dude for this profession. Like everything Bronco Mendenhall does, good or bad, is a little different. Um, than seemingly everybody else. It's like those cities that, uh, like um, Maracaibo in Venezuela, where like it was separated by water from the rest of civilization for hundreds of years, to where they just kind of developed their own way of doing everything. And then you you know you're exposed to this, and you're like, wow, you're, you're slightly different in everything you do. That's Bronco. He's the he's the Maracaibo. They had uh, to have just uh, said, hey, here's here's a runway that's limitless. Like just do whatever. There could not have been a conversation there where. They were like, hey, we need a three-year plan from you. There's just no way. Not with that roster. Yeah. I mean, these, these, yeah. I'll ask. Yeah, there's a lot of... I'll ask. Virginia's always interested in me. They should be better than they are. But I also understand why they aren't. I, I mean, I guess they really... I mean, they haven't... They're good, uh, but they haven't necessarily... Uh, the investment level hasn't necessarily been there the way it's been uh, at other schools in the ACC. So... Um, you know, that's it is a job that kind of I, they well, they proved they proved in the night 80s and 90s. They can win consistently like seven eight games, baby. Uh, and they haven't done that lately. So you're right in that regard. You're definitely right in that regard. And that we know they can win seven, eight games a year and they have it. Uh, but it's a weird job. All right, Bill. We are. Where are we on time? Yeah. We should be more organized. Yeah, oh, we're about an hour. All right. It looks like so about an hour 15. I want you to hold on to the excitement that is Syracuse. Because I want next week we're gonna we're gonna platform next week around good ACC because what you've done and I know what you're up to it's an evil agenda against the ACC because all off season I've said wow depth wow emerging cul de sac right all my buzzwords and you just came in here and you tried to wet blanket it I don't like that yeah yeah by the way I mean the next three, first of all when we're talking about good SEC or good ACC that that's not guaranteed to include Syracuse. Syracuse is gonna be fun. Uh, you know what? Exciting. That's not. Uh, that's well, you not know what? Figure out the good thing. Given a day of the week, actually, no. To hell with that. In general, at this age, I've seen a lot of good football. I, I think I'd rather fun. Okay. Uh, and, and after Syracuse, by the way, this week is Duke and Wake Forest. So we're not. We're not. So when we come back next week, when we come back next week, we we'll only have those three. Up yet. Uh, no. So if we're doing Wednesday next week, that means I'll have also done Georgia Tech on Monday, NC State on Tuesday, and North Carolina on Wednesday. And NC State, I'm really looking forward to the NC State preview. That's one of those that uh, they, are, I think, are way, were way better last year than anybody realized. Those are the and those are the three schools, really honestly, that I think have the most questions about them in terms of that new ACC middle class that we have been trying to wheel into existence for about two years. So uh, we'll talk about that next week. We will get back to reader questions. We'll get back on the rhythm. I think we're going to start having podcast sponsors. Um, 
We have a couple other things that are about to hit. Um, those of you who turned in, I'm going to make an announcement real fast. Those of you who turned in scores last summer, they have not been forgotten. Uh, Bill and myself contributed our scores. We're going to do a special show eventually. The logo is under construction. The new podcast ain't played nobody logo. Uh, there was a gentleman who um, it's buried back in my Twitter um, that said, "Hey, we lo- I love your show so much." Blah blah blah. Um, can't hear you when I'm mowing the lawn. That resonated with me because I listen to a lot of stuff when I mow the lawn here in sunny Nashville, Tennessee. So we are working on that. I know that we joke and say that we're always working on the audio issues, but we're actually working on something bigger than that. So um, things are under construction, and hopefully we'll dovetail with the start of the season. That would be nice. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be like we planned it. I definitely wouldn't go that far. That's a big assumption to make. Um, Bill and I are going to talk offline about box score bingo. I think it's been long enough to where we can dress it back up. What do you think? That wasn't I, you, Bill. I just meant, like, what do you think? Like, hit us uh, up and let us know. I, say, I, I think I need to know, like, the, the format might need to change a little bit, but we'll see. The problem is we're hitting football, football soon. So I think maybe Bill brings back. Now, the other option, too, for longtime listeners is we did, we did um, what was it called, Bill? Look at this box score? Where you brought a box score and we broke it down. I think we just ended up calling that box score bingo too. Okay. Um, that one I think is probably better and more educational for those of you who are listening for, to the, you know, the real three, 400 level. Yeah, during the season, that's really the only option. But uh, Yeah. To, I mean, if you really want to elevate. Now, if you guys want to roll a couple box score bingos into the uh, July, August, I'm, you know, I tell you what, we could do two or three good ones if Bill wants to. Um, y'all just let us know what you want to hear. Uh, we're going to keep marching along, basically sort of guided by Bill's preview schedule. Believe it or not, I do things at SB Nation, uh, I, other than co-host this podcast, and some of those things are going to come to fruition here in the next week or two. So I'll have something to contribute. I have some coach profile previews coming up soon. Um, and then also, Bill and I, again, I've teased it for a while, but we're really excited. It's not the season preview, but there's another package that we are uh, participating in that's going to be super fun. And PAPN as hell. <laughs> to the point where I really feel like it should be PAP and presents this Project X that we have coming up. I think that would and be by fair. the way, uh, I am. we are recording this on a Tuesday instead of a Wednesday because I'm going to a hardcore sports analytics nerd conference. What, t- uh, tell, the, tell the people. Now, is it open to the public? Can people come and take selfies with you and stuff? Uh, some babies? I mean, I, I can certainly meet you at a bar if you want to go to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. But um, it is the Great Lakes Analytics and Sports Conference. Uh, at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point, go Pointers! I'm, I'm absolutely buying shirts for the family, um, and you know, they really are the Pointers, by the way. Well, I don't doubt you. I go to the Sloan Conference for the uh, for the networking and all that. It's a it's a good time, and and they're kind of like the big picture topics and whatnot. This is hardcore stuff. These are presentations. These are you know Northwestern University uh, professor kind of presentations going on here. Right. And I'm gonna it's, I'm gonna come back with some fun ideas. There's one on uh, college recruiting analytics I'm particularly interested in, but we're gonna yeah I'm gonna have I'm gonna have nerd things to share while while Godfrey pours coffee next week. Pours coffee. I don't get it. Well, you go. I start talking, and you go to pour coffee. No, I don't. The coffee's downstairs. I did that last summer when I was in an apartment oh, while my house was being remodeled. Okay. There's no way for me. I have a tall, reusable Starbucks cup filled with ice water at the moment. I'm out of coconut Lacroix, so I can't make a Pensacola. Um, I have no hot coffee at the moment. God, I swear this marriage is cheaper than my real marriage. Um, 
Let's go argue about politics tomorrow. I'm ready. Bill at SB Nation S, at, uh, at SBN underscore Bill C. I'm at 38 Godfrey. Um, we'll do questions next week. Let's do email. How's that? Or the body of this SB Nation blog yeah, podcast. Say, thing. Let's get back that. into the comments thread thing. We okay. fell, you, you went and had a kid, and that threw us off rhythm. But otherwise, you know, we were doing a pretty good job of that. I had sex. It happens. Um, all right, let's do that. Um, this has been – check this out. Check this out, guys. You ready? This has been a Vox Media Podcast Network podcast. Is that how we do that? We have new bumpers that we have to read, but that doesn't make sense because we just used the word podcast twice. I'm le- By the way, we're leaving all of this in. If corporate has an issue, they can call me. I'm in trouble twice a week anyway. So um, so let's just say this. You've been listening to Podcast Day Play, but buddy, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Bill, do you want to okay. do this again next week and I won't make that creepy voice? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll come back next week if you make the creepy voice. All right, Bay. Oh, that was, that was super creepy.